UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. Well, medical students taking part in Kansas City University's Global Health Program were able to make their first mission trip to Kenya since the start of the pandemic. The Global Health Program is an optional program for medical students. It provides them with the opportunity to improve the health of patients in middle to low-income countries while also receiving hands-on experience with medical conditions not common to the U.S. Since 2014, the university has been partnering with a Kenyan clinic, which was founded by Dr. Banyo, an adjunct professor at the university. With us now to talk about their experiences in Kenya and how the medical care differs from treating patients in the U.S. are Kayla Shorten. She's a fourth-year medical student at KCU. Kayla, nice to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Also with us is Chisum Okwagu, another fourth-year student. Chisum, nice to have you, too. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Well, so Chisum, let me start with you. Why did you want to go on this trip to Kenya? What, what drew you to it? Yeah, um, I think ultimately the Global Health Program was a great opportunity to hop on these international trips um, from Guatemala back in February 2022 and then having the opportunity to go to Kenya. Right. Both of them were very, like, I think equally feasible for me, um, equally attractive to me. With Kenya in particular, it was going back to Africa, um, an opportunity for me personally going back to the motherland and serving in that capacity, which is something that I hadn't had the opportunity to do yet. Um, And so just I think having that opportunity to do that, along with meeting Dr. Banyo in person um, in Guatemala, having the rundown from him, kind of making that connection there, it was another reason to jump on that opportunity. Um, and was the experience everything you hoped it would be? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How so? Um, well, again, just I think just serving in the global capacity, right, just being part of this vision of international medical work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As a student, it was an uh, incredible opportunity. But being there in person, uh, being in Kenya in person, seeing the community that that you'd been studying to, you know, work with, that uh, for Kayla and I, we'd been working on research and how to incorporate that into our Kenya trip, um, working specifically with that that population. Um, And so it was just like... I think working with an awesome community that was just so warm and welcoming for us. so neat. Um, Do you sit there sometimes, you're in Kenya, and you sort of pinch yourself like, I'm actually in Africa? I'm I'm not in Kansas City anymore? (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, it it wasn't my first experience in Africa, I would say. Um, So my background being that I'm a Nigerian, or a child of Nigerian immigrants. Ah. So most of my family is in Nigeria, actually. Okay. But being on in Eastern Africa, um, serving in that capacity, um, was definitely a first. Kayla, did you find yourself pinching yourself at times, thinking maybe it was your first trip to Africa, I gather? Yeah, um, it was my first trip to Kenya, and absolutely, it just was unreal for us to be there, especially in you know a group of medical students who were all looking forward to serving and learning new things and meeting new people. Right. Um, and they were just so welcoming, and you know, just like over and over again, was wow, I can't believe we're here. We're actually doing it. You know, 
just such such a great experience. You say welcoming. How were they welcoming? And they were so happy to have us there. They were so smiley. They wanted to know everything about us. They wanted wow. to, you know, um, they kind of were asking us, well, how can we come to the United States too? And um, they, you know, they weren't as huggy as um, like Chisholm and I were talking about in, in our Guatemala trips. They like to hug. But um, in Kenya, they still were just they wanted to to ask us things about our lives when we were trying to do the same for them. So there's just a lot of back and forth exchanges of uh, information. You were kind of a celebrity, it sounds like. It was <laughs> it, it kind of felt that way. But also, you know, just in in return to them, we just were learning so much from them as much as they were learning from us. You said you did some research ahead of time. Explain to, to us what you were doing to get ready for this trip and what that entailed. Sure, yeah. So our, our research project, there was a comparative analysis on sexual health education. Um, and so we asked the patients at clinic kind of what their understanding was of sex ed. And so we had to do some research ahead of time and um, found some studies that had shown, uh, you know, the rates of STIs and STDs in that part of Kenya and kind of what their education was like at school. Higher or lower than you see here in Kansas City? It was lower than we would see here in Kansas City. It's Yeah, it's a very taboo subject. Um, So they kind of tend to not teach it as much even, and that's kind of why the STI rates are so high. Well, I thought you said the rates over there were lower than Kansas City. You're saying they were higher? The education rates were lower. Education rates were lower. Yes, sir. I'm surprised if if they're not talking about it that the rates of sexually transmitted diseases would actually be lower than you hear in Kansas. You have here in Kansas City. So those rates of STIs were actually higher in Kenya. Yeah. Oh, they were higher over there. Okay, now I'm tracking. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's not surprising given the fact it's not talked about. Exactly. Yeah. How difficult was it for you guys to bring it up and talk about it in an attempt to lower those rates? Um, our patients were very giggly about it. Really? <laughs> yeah, they, it was an uncomfortable subject, but they also were very willing to help us with our research and, and help us learn from them, too. How did you crack through that, Chisum, as you, as you began to deal with that subject? Um, ultimately, I think when giving the survey, it was very much, so here's kind of a rundown on it, and you would kind of get some laughter, some giggles. Um, a lot of our patient or subject population was 18 and up, right? So mm-hmm. working with the adults and seeing that, okay, maybe the younger end, you would have that sort of reaction. Maybe the older end was very private. You know, you introduce it, sort of a stoic look, and then they uh, respond to the questions on their own, kind of away from us as to not be influenced by any of our, you know, looks or, you know, um, anything that might be projected unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I think ultimately, like I, like Kayla had mentioned, they were willing to help us with our research. They were open to answering yeah. the questions. Um, is, is your goal ultimately to, to set up some sort of educational system there so that Kenyans and Eastern Kenya, where you were, can begin to wrap their arms around STDs and, and what that means and how to prevent them going forward? Yeah. So down the line, that would be something we'd love to see. Um, yeah. Right. Just removing the taboo from discussing this subject, especially because the rates are so high. Um, the understanding is that with more education, there's more understanding of what certain actions imply and what sort of misconceptions might need to be, you know, unlearned. Um, and so really just increasing safety and awareness all around. But Lots of misconceptions over there? For sure. Can I ask, like, what one of them might be that we can talk about on the air? Um, 
I mean, I guess the one that comes to mind, I don't know if it's necessarily like taboo or so whatnot, yeah. but is that um, people with disabilities can't engage in like, uh, can't ah. like have sex, right? Wow. Um, that was, I think across the board seemed like one, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Gayla, but that seemed like one where everyone seemed to agree with, where yeah. it's like, oh yeah, once you have this like physical impairment, like you're, that's not something to engage in. Hmm. Um and so just certain, certain Real right, basic things like right, that. Basic things yeah. like that. Um, yeah. I think another one was that um, sex is for us specifically for having babies. And I think another question was sex is for pleasure. And you sort of saw um, a gender skew with what males tend to answer and what women tended to answer. Would women say that? having sex was for having babies and men might acknowledge there's some pleasure aspect to it or might yeah have it, that was the general flip? trend that we yeah. saw with some of the with yeah. the responses yeah mm. uh, do i have it right kayla you guys went to a clinic over there describe yes. it to us where, where did you go and what kind of how well equipped was it so this clinic was about an hour's drive from Kisumu, where we stayed in a village called Masara. Um, Dr. Banya was raised in Masara and uh, came back after being educated in the United States and built a clinic there for his people. Um, and so this clinic, it had its own pharmacy. It had inpatient beds, um, very different than you would see in the U.S. The beds were right next to each other with mosquito nets hanging over them. Mm. Um, but it lots had, of mosquitoes. Lots of mosquitoes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it had its own HIV education suite as well um, and just, you know, the medicines, the educational pamphlets, that kind of thing. So they're very well equipped there, but um, it still was very interesting for us to come over and see what all they don't have to work with. What don't they have? Oh, man. Um, a lot of imaging modalities that we would use here in the United X-rays. States. X-ray. Yeah, CAT scan. They didn't have any of that. They We couldn't even do basic lab tests like a CBC to check your uh, blood counts um, or mm-hmm. a CMP to check how your liver function, kidney function, that kind of thing. So it was a lot more of a clinical diagnosis for a lot of our patients. A clinical diagnosis meaning you have to diagnose them based on how they present and exactly. what you see with your eyes as opposed to yeah. looking at tests that you are, you are able to conduct. And hands-on. You do a lot of hands-on exams. So feeling if their spleen is enlarged or their liver is enlarged can tell you something that just you know a basic blood test could also tell you. How accurate is diagnosing someone that way as opposed to actually having tests in front of you? It's not going to be as good, but um, that's what you have to do. You have to make do with that there. I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, how sobering is that for a young medical student to actually be in a place like that where the equipment you need to do your job well simply doesn't exist? Sure. Yeah, it was a, you know, we knew it was going to be like that there. So I wouldn't say it was a shock, but it was a big um, learning trend, I would say, or learning curve um, Mm -hmm. for us to not be able to say, well, let's get some imaging or let's just do some basic labs. So we just had to talk to our supervisors there and the attending physicians and say, what more can we do to figure out what this patient has? You know, what other things do we have access to here? And a lot of that was, well, did you do a good physical exam on them? And did you get a good history from them? Hmm. What did you make of that, Chisum, as you navigated those moments with your patients? Yeah, um, I think like what Kayla's talked on or has touched on is yeah. uh, extremely important to keep in mind. Um, I think one thing that I keep in mind as well is just how we really do have to rely on our, you know, these are five senses to determine what our patients are walking in with. Right. Right. So a lot of the confirmatory testing, the diagnostic imaging, x-rays, you know, complete blood count tests, labs, yeah. things like that. Um, 
I feel like a lot of times they end up confirming what we usually make with a clinical uh, picture altogether, all right? If Me- someone, meaning that you can be pretty accurate right. if you look at someone as opposed to actually having the test. Exactly. Yeah. So, That's like, if we do an accurate physical exam and we feel, okay, the spleen is enlarged, they're coming in with fevers, they're coming in feeling really fatigued, my guess is they might have malaria, and then we get a lab and it shows malaria, right? We didn't even, I mean, theoretically, right? We didn't need the lab to tell us. We made that diagnosis just from what we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I will credit, like KCU and with being an osteopathic program is that we, like physical exams are so emphasized the entire curriculum. We need to know how to use our hands to determine what are we feeling? What is this, uh, you know, what is the skeletal layout telling us? What is this um, organ enlargement telling us? And then going from there, we're figuring out how to create um, a wide differential like diagnosis. What are the different diagnoses that this person could have? Is there a broader implication to what you're saying? Are we too reliant on testing and spending all the money on fancy gadgets and tests to get diagnoses that you're saying a lot of times you can just sort of see it with your your eyes or I, feel it. I think I think a little bit, right? I mean, we have the uh, the, um, the the benefit, right, of having all of these accesses to lab tests and things like that, but we don't have that. I guess if we're not honing in on the skill set of our five senses, we don't have that ability to apply it in any setting. Yeah. Like being in Guatemala, where we don't have those resources, or being in Kenya, where we didn't have those resources. Knowing how to use our hands and our eyes, mm-hmm. our, you know, our speech, our ears to hear what our patients are telling us or not telling us, mm-hmm. those can clue us in on a what, you know, what our patient is working with or what our diagnosis might be. It's really interesting. Yeah. There's something else I wanted to ask you in just reading about your trip that there, there are challenges uh, when it comes to diagnosing dark-skinned people with certain conditions that may be is different than with a light-skinned person. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Like, what 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 are you talking about there? Right. Um, I, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, jaundice, mm. right? The yellowing of the skin. Right. Um, we saw a bit of that with, uh, I think, even sometimes, like, extreme um, or, like, yeah, extreme cases of malaria, right? Um, just looking for that change in tone or change in color in our patient. And you don't see jaundice very easily in dark-skinned people. Mm -hmm. If you're looking strictly at the skin, you might maybe get a yellowing or a tint um, to their pigment, but you start relying on other things like looking at the whites in their eyes Ah. or looking at the palms of their hands and their feet. There are ways around it. There are ways Mm -hmm. around it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If we're thinking, what is um, a rash uh, that's supposed to be scarlet rash or, you know, a red paper or like a red rash, those don't exactly show up the same way. Mm -hmm. And so really familiarizing ourselves with different populations, uh, especially populations with darker skin, is an asset down the line because you're not just relying on maybe the textbook definitions of a red macular papular rash or... Um, I love the words you medical I'm just I'm like trying to just, be... You sound, you just sound so smart. <laughs> words I don't have any idea what you're talking about, but it sounds good. Yeah. I think for like the, the medical people listening, I just they're, like... They're with us. <laughs> okay. No one else's, but they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just certain key or buzzwords like that. 
they don't work as well for every population. Right. So you right. start creating, I mean, there's been such a development of different resources lately for like the last couple of years of what these skin conditions look like on darker skin people. Yeah. Um, but we start seeing like, oh, these we can't really rely on. You can't rely on the textbook. Yeah. You've got to actually go experience exactly. it yourself. Yeah, the photos in our textbooks are all for the most part of lighter skinned people, and that's what we're used to learning from. And those photographs would would pop out more with a light skinned person. Absolutely. They're not going to show you a photograph of a dark skinned person because yeah. you can't tell what you tell yeah, as well. Right. Yeah, we'll be right back. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Up to Date on KCUR. We're talking with a couple of students from Kansas City University about their mission trip to Kenya. Uh, first mission trip since the start of the pandemic for many students uh, there. You know, were there other medical conditions, uh, Kayla, not common to the U.S. that you were dealing with over there? And what were some of those? Sure, yeah. So malaria was the big one. Um, but we also got to see patients that had tuberculosis. Well, what, is, what does malaria do to someone? I haven't known anyone who had malaria. Sure, yeah. yeah. So the symptoms basically fatigue, fever, fever that comes and goes. Um, your ab- abdomen may enlarge, you may have nausea, vomiting. It's just you feel very unwell. And a lot of these patients, they get malaria time after time. So they're almost able to tell you, yeah, it feels like my last time I had malaria. How, how do you catch malaria? So we, uh, oh, so from a mosquito. It's mosquito. a parasite that is transmitted by mosquito, yeah. Did you worry about catching it while you were Absolutely there? Absolutely, we did. And we wore all the bug spray. <laughs> Yeah. And our beds had the mosquito nets over, and we used those every night as well. I bet you still got bit, though. Uh, a couple of times, yeah. And so, you know, from now for the next six months or a year, they'd said, if you get a fever, it could be malaria. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What, what, what other conditions besides malaria? So tuberculosis, we had uh, one or two patients with that, which you got to put a mask on them immediately and kind of get them away from everyone. You don't everyone. see that in this country. Not as often, Not no. as often, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we actually saw chicken pox, a lot of mumps. Wow. So the chicken pox on the skin there, again, that was a really interesting thing to see, very different than the textbook photos. Um, And mumps, they're just not getting those uh, childhood vaccines that we get here in the States. Yeah. 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 And then typhoid is an abdominal, you know, nausea, vomiting kind of uh, disease that is transmitted um, hand to mouth, you know, from a lack of like clean water and um, that kind of thing. You know, Chisum, I'm wondering how uh, your patients reacted to having a pair of students uh, working. Were, were the only two students from KCU who went over there? No, there was a whole team. A whole team. Yeah, yeah. How did the patients feel about kids working? I'm uh, kids in quotes now. You can't see my air quotes on the air, but <laughs> mm-hmm. how do they feel about that? Um, I think we were received very well. I feel yeah. like student doctor versus doctor, we kind of had the same sort of. Um, I guess, respect. Right? You had the white jacket on yeah. and the whole thing? I, I mean, we had the white coat and we had the scrubs. Mm-hmm. Or not the white coat, the stethoscope and the scrubs. Mm-hmm. So um, sort of the same uh, the same uniform or the same outfit that a lot of the attending physicians or the, the doctors had on the trip. And, and, and Casey, you has been going to this particular clinic for a long time. Mm-hmm. It, maybe this would be a good time uh, to tell us uh, who Dr. Banyo uh, is and was. Kayla has a huge presence there. He, absolutely, yeah. He has been involved with KCU for quite a while now. And so our school usually goes over to Kenya, I think, twice a year before the pandemic. And mm-hmm. they're hoping to get back to that now. And so, yeah, we go work at this clinic that he built. But like I said earlier, he's raised in Masara, Kenya. Um, 
he actually had a little sister pass away when he lived there as a young boy due to lack of medical care. And so that he made that his life goal. Um, and he managed to raise money, get uh, to the United States for education, uh, went here for college, medical school, started his own practice. He's up in Ohio now. Huh. Um, but he goes back with us twice a year and then potentially, you know, one or two more times on his own as well to visit his village and, and go see how the clinic is doing. How do the villagers react when he comes? Oh, they love him. <laughs> yeah. He is, yeah, he's a, an idol there that they all look up to. Which is so cool to be around. I'm it sure. is, absolutely, yeah. So yeah. it was really cool to get to know him, to learn his story, and just to see the impact that he's making back over there now. Chisum, tell me what your typical day was like in the clinic, how many patients you were seeing. Uh, how, how did those days roll out to you? Yeah, so we probably get there around uh, between like 8.45, 9 a.m. Well, you're sleeping in a little bit. Okay. Eh? Well, so we're, we're getting up. We're, we're... getting defensive. <laughs> I was like, Dr. Desai did a yeah, huge focus on physical health to make sure that we were um, just, you know, well prepared I to bet. handle any of the conditions that we might have encountered. Right. But we got there, okay, like late morning-ish, right? <laughs> um, and uh, by the time we rolled up, uh, a significant chunk of patients would already be waiting for us. Mm-hmm. And so we'd get our resources, get our stethoscopes, any blood pressure cuffs, things that we would need to see patients. Did you each have your own uh, room to, to work with the patients? No. So we were probably like maybe eight or nine to a room at a time. No, I'm kidding. So yeah. a lot of noise, a lot, a of, lot motion, of noise, a lot of, a lot of humanity moving yes, around. Yes. I mean, it was basically, you know, you have a plastic chair, two plastic chairs facing each other, and you're talking one-on-one with the patient while um, our interpreter was next to us kind of uh, translating what the patient was saying. Um, How difficult did the translation factor into what you were trying to do? Honestly, we had an incredible team of translators working with us, and they did such a good job of really conveying what the patient was saying, making sure that, you know, anything that needed to be handled with care and integrity was, you know, respected. Um, But then also having, creating this, uh, what I felt was like pretty smooth communication back and forth and still maintaining that eye contact, still talking to the patient directly, but, you know, having the interpreter sort of act as a voice between the two of you. Were the patients, are they they used to that kind of environment? Because I was thinking if I walked into a doctor's office and there were, you know, 12 other people around me, that would be kind of uncomfortable for me to talk to my doctor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So were they sort of used to that though? Or Well, so I believe typically they don't see the volume of patients that we saw while we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think word had gotten out that, oh, the Americans are coming, so right? People, the med students are coming. Come. So people come. Mm-hmm. People came. They wanted to be seen. They knew they, would be, they were being seen by these, you know, physicians and this team of medical students, doctors. Um, so we had a, a we, I mean, through, we could see up to maybe 150, 200 patients a day. Mm-hmm. Um, over the span of like six to seven hours. Yeah. Um, so yeah. as you look back on the experience then, Kayla, how life-affirming, life-changing, what's your big takeaway from having an incredible experience like this? My big takeaway is that I want to do this for the rest of my life. Really? I want to really? be involved in this kind of thing forever. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. In doing what exactly? What do you see yourself? 
how, how do you see yourself? I would like to take at least you know a few weeks every year when I finally get to be an attending and um, continue to go back, whether it's to Kenya or Guatemala or any of these places that we have roots down, and just keep you know showing up, bringing medical supplies, medicines, just helping people get what they don't have access to. You know, so many doctors from our area. I'm even thinking of uh, former Governor Jeff Collier of Kansas, who has does mission trips and is so moved by the experience. He goes back often, mm-hmm. and that clearly is a powerful experience. It is. It, it tugs at your heartstrings, and it's just something. Once you're once you're in there, you just you know you never want to leave. Yeah, Chisum, how, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I would echo the same. <laughs> I feel like um, I think part of it is also personal, right? Coming from a family background right. where Nigeria, especially within the villages, is a very similar setup where you right. don't have that um, you know resources to healthcare, quality healthcare, and so been subject to family members that have past because of very preventable diseases, very treatable diseases. Well, Um, I appreciate you both coming in. I appreciate you sharing your stories and your enthusiasm is infectious. Thanks for for coming in. Much appreciated. You You just heard the voice of Chisum Okwagu, another uh, fourth-year student at KCU, Kansas City University. Kayla Shorten also joined us, another four-year student. Again, best to both of you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having us. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancart. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.